0: Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be and abide with you this day as we prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls for the coming of the King. Our series for this Advent season is the King is coming. And in our text today from Luke chapter 3, the second Sunday in the Advent season, we remember John the Baptist. This is typical in our Advent season to remember the forerunner, the one who came ahead of Jesus, and Luke chapter 3 talks about that. For us, as we're traveling this week, um, necessitated that I record this message ahead of time. So we left town yesterday, and so I recorded this on Thursday. And at some point, I had to, on Thursday, about midday, push record, because it needs to be done. So Ready or not? Here we go. Ready or not? I remember playing um, hide-and-seek as a kid. I remember playing that with you know, my, my sister and with other friends, and you know at some point someone would be counting, whether it's in the house or outside, you know, one, two, three, you know 17, 18, 19, whatever, 20, if that's what you're counting to. And then the big announcement: ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here comes Jesus. Ready or not, life comes at us pretty fast. and Life is full of preparations. The Advent season is one of preparing. Preparing for the coming of the Lord and preparing for Christmas. Is your shopping done? This time of year, there's a whole lot of that that happens. Is the, are the decorations up? Have the gifts been purchased? Has the baking schedule been figured out so that all the Christmas cookies and other goodies can be ready in time? Do you have a plan for food and festivities, for parties and events? Are there special concerts? That's why we're traveling today. As I mentioned in the announcements, there's a concert that we're going to be attending that's tomorrow night. Um, and so we're away to attend that concert and then we'll come back. Behold the Lamb of God is the name of the concert tour by Andrew Peterson. And that's an artist that we've seen. He has friends of his on the stage with him. Um, So we're looking forward to that. When we get back, right away, there's a Christmas concert that one of our kids is in. So, you know, this is a time of events and it gets all packed in in December, doesn't it? We also prepared for travel so that we could be away this week or this weekend um, with, you know, here are the things that we need to bring. And here's what the weather's going to be like because it's different from here, so we got to know that we're taking the right, you know, coats and the right supply. Like, do we need an umbrella? Do we need gloves? Do we need, like, what, what do we need? What kind of preparations do we need to make so that we bring the right things? And what kind of preparations do we need to make for the other end? Airline tickets got reserved, a rental car got reserved, and flights and all the planning that went into it, and coordinating with Paula's brother and with our other friends, there's a lot of preparations that go into even just being away for a weekend. With all the preparations that we have to make, not just for Christmas, but in life, we can lose focus. And if we look back at the first century, and we look back at this text in Luke 3, we see that the world was not ready for Jesus. The world was not ready. There were were people anticipating the coming of the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. Messiah in Hebrew is Mashiach. That's the anointed one who was to come. There were people who were looking for the coming of the Messiah, the one who was promised. But the world wasn't ready. The political situation going on in that context. Well, Luke mentions Pilate and Herod and Philip and Lysanias, or however that's pronounced. And we don't know much about that last guy, but, you know, here are these other three. And there were um, things going on among that political situation with the Roman occupation of the area and all that that meant even religious people, weren't necessarily prepared and ready. The high priesthood had become a political position, and Annas had been deposed by the Romans, but still controlled things, and multiple sons of his served as the high priest, at least for a time, Caiaphas being one of those. So this is the context in which the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. This is in Luke chapter 3, early in the chapter. That's what we see. Luke describes the context, describes this situation, and says the, the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. Not where we expect, necessarily. Not where people would be looking. Not to a person of influence or of power, but according to God's promise. According to the way that God wanted things to work. And so John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Malachi and Isaiah both foretold the forerunner. We heard Malachi's prophecy read from Malachi chapter 3, beginning in the first verse. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Messenger of the covenant, the promised one. The king is coming. Kings were often preceded by messengers. They couldn't call ahead of time. They couldn't book their rooms over the internet. They couldn't prepare in various ways that we can through technology now. So they had to send out a messenger, a delegation, however it would be done, to make those preparations. Similarly, I read that the Secret Service, ahead of a presidential visit, sends out a team three months ahead of the, the president, or ahead of the president's arrival. And they plan routes for the motorcade and they contact the nearest hospital to make sure that there's a trauma center and you know, vet the care that the president would get if something were to happen. There are hotel rooms, if they're, if they're gonna stay in hotel rooms, they take out all the telephones, televisions, anything electronic, that's out. And they sweep the room for any kind of recording device or transmission device, looking for anything that could record the president speaking, even taking apart um, picture frames to check for listening devices. Streets get closed when the arrival is imminent. Bomb-sniffing dogs are around, making sure there's not gonna be any kind of event. And then six airplanes are required to transport all the equipment, the vehicles, the, the motorcade, limousine, whatever the president's going to ride in, and helicopters, and communication equipment, and all of that it takes six airplanes. Now, it's not quite like that with John the Baptist, one person who paved the way for Jesus. In ancient times, there were roads, and the Romans were really good at building roads, roads that actually still exist. And when we're in the Holy Land, a group of us going there this summer, we'll see some of the roads that the Romans built that are still there. Some years ago when we were in Greece and Turkey, same thing. Now, those were regular roads that were built, but when the king would be coming from time to time, the royal road would be built. Locally, we have that road, El Camino Real. The royal road is a literal translation of those words, of that title. Construction for the king was sometimes required so the king could travel on a road that was comfortable, a road that was easy to navigate. We've seen road work. You don't have to go too far to find orange cones set up on the road, on the freeway, places where branches are being trimmed or potholes are being filled in. Or sometimes work is done to replace a bridge, to straighten out a sharp turn. There's a lot of ways that road work happens. Isaiah is quoted here in Luke chapter 3 in verses 4 through 6, and he gives a process for the preparation. In verse 5, he says these words, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. Fill in the valleys. Out in the Central Valley, just not far east from here, I-5 runs straight and level right down the middle of the Central Valley, but there's hills on both sides. The valley often represents, even biblically, a low point. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The walk through the valley, are you low? Are you in a low point in your life, in your Preparation in your preparedness for Jesus. These things, are, are things low right now for you? You need to fill in the valleys. Luke, well, Isaiah, goes on to say, level the hills. Recently, I did some cycling up uh, one of the four giants, one of the four major hills around the Bay Area, and. Uh, I'm glad that hasn't been leveled because it was a challenging ride and worth doing And it also was a spectacular view from up there. But hills can represent things that are in the way, obstacles in our way, or in the case of particularly in the Old Testament, high places became places to worship idols. That even the people of Israel would set up Asherah poles and worship other gods in these high places. Are there anything, are there any obstacles in our way? Any idols in our lives that we need to remove? Isaiah goes on to talk about straightening the crooked ways. We went to the coast on Black Friday, which is a tradition that we've done um, for a number of years. Avoid the shopping centers pack our turkey leftovers and head over to the coast. Well, a number of people had the same idea. It was a beautiful day. Coming back after sunset meant we were coming back with all the people who enjoyed the sunset over at the coast. And we're driving back, we're coming up Highway 17, which is the main route. And on the navigation system, it was all red, right? And there was an alternate route that was suggested, and so we decided to take the turn off, take the exit, and go the alternate way. And we ended up on this road on the side of a hill in the dark, driving this path. This road that went down the hill in a way that's, well, hadn't been straightened out for sure. And there was a lot of turning to navigate that road. And there was a car not far behind me, so I didn't want to slow down too much. Have you been down the winding road? Have you been down a road that's difficult to navigate, even confusing or disorienting in your life? Last piece of Isaiah's instruction is to smooth what is rough. Have you been down a road that's so rough you have to slow down, where there's potholes or rough places out here on 680, not far from here, just a bit to our south, there's there's the one bridge. If you've driven it, you probably know it. Where the freeway comes along and then there's just almost a ramp up to the level of the bridge. And I don't know why it's quite that dramatic, but you're driving along at the speed limit or you know, or with traffic, <laughs> and you hit that and whoop I know somebody's going to have a wreck there. Or there's those kinds of roads where there's so many potholes and so many rough places that it's just almost painful to go down. Has the road of life been rough for you lately? See, to prepare ourselves for Jesus, we need to do all of those things. We need to level the hills. We need to smooth out what's rough. We need to straighten the crooked and fill in the valleys. And this is the message that John brought ahead of Jesus' arrival. Prepare the way. Prepare the way for the Lord. The one who is coming is greater than I, John said, more powerful. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He will baptize you with fire. See, John preached a message to prepare of repentance and bearing fruit. Repentance gets us ready. This is Luke three, verse three. John went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Be cleansed through the forgiveness of sin. Early in our time of worship, we have a confession. See, we go through life day after day with all the rough places and all the hills and all the valleys and all the burdens and all of our sin. and so when we come together for our time of worship, we confess. We acknowledge, we admit that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and so we need to receive that grace and mercy and the forgiveness of our sin. We need baptism, that washing and cleansing and renewing work of the Holy Spirit in the water and the word of baptism. And we need to daily remember our baptism and repent of our sin. See, repentance is not just confession. It's confession and a change, a change of our heart, a change of our mind, a change of our direction so that we go the way of God's leading. John goes on to talk about gathering to hear isn't enough. He said, this is verse 7, to the crowds that came out, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Don't just listen, take action. Don't just hear, put it into practice. He also said that lineage doesn't qualify. Verse 8, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He went on to point to Jesus, the source, the source of forgiveness, the one who was to come, the one whose way he was preparing. He was preparing people for the arrival of Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah. And then people asked, what should we do? What should we do in john's answer bear fruit in keeping with repentance those words are in verse eight bear fruit in keeping with repentance see repentance comes first john didn't come saying do all these things to prepare yourself and that's all repentance is first the confession of our need and our sinfulness because we need that savior we need the one who was promised we need the one who was to come but then what do we do live a life consistent with the confession consistent with our need for this mercy and our receiving of that grace then we live in line with god what god has for us to do people ask specifically And this is in verse 10 and following. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them. So the crowds, just generally, and he said, whoever has two tunics is to share with one who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, be generous. What do you have? What do you have that you can share? Tax collectors came and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Be generous and be honest. Do your work the way it should be done. Have integrity about yourself. And he said to them, oh, sorry, uh, verse 14, soldiers asked, and what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Be content contentment can be complicated for us because we live in this world that keeps telling us we don't have enough, we don't do enough, we don't experience enough, we don't, we don't. But we do. We do. Most of us have plenty, more than we need, so we can share. We can be content. We can be honest and live in this way that demonstrates the one who was to come, the one who has come to us. Be prepared. Be ready for the coming of your King. Amen.